You are now listening to the Unshakable Health Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. All right. Oh my gosh. Another week, another month. It is almost the end of October. It is definitely cold here in the mountains of Utah. I hope you're staying warm. I know we... Uh, We've been enjoying a little bit of evening fireside hangouts on the back uh, porch. We've got uh, this little portable fire pit that's super fun. The kids have been roasting uh, hot dogs. That Teton Waters brand, uh, Ranch brand has an amazing uh, grass-fed and finished hot dog. And I'll be honest, we even had a little bit of marshmallows the other night because, you know, why not? We probably do that once a year or something, and it's just so much fun to hang out. Aside the fire, staying warm and the cool, crisp, I guess fall still <laughs> air, but we've already had like, uh, I think four or five snowstorms already. Another one this uh, coming week. So it feels like winter, but we're staying warm and we're staying just lively and grateful because of you. We are so pumped that you are here, that you're taking a part of your day to be a part of this show and that you're sharing it, that you're loving it, that you're subscribing so you never miss an episode. And in fact, I just want to reach out and thank uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Rana. She dropped a five-star review over there on Amazon for my book, Preventable, Five Powerful Practices to Avoid Disease and Build Unshakable Health. And she says, five stars, quote, inspiring, exclamation mark, from inspirational quotes, poignant stories, and quantifiable evidence. Preventable is a book for anyone who needs motivation to live a healthy lifestyle. Very inspirational Three exclamation points. Thank you, Elizabeth Rana. Thank you so much for doing that over there on Amazon. If you've already reviewed the book, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you haven't, please do it. Hop on over there. Scroll down to where you see those five stars. Rate it, review it. Drop a little note. I love to read those. It just makes me smile. In fact, this is the last week to drop your review over there on Amazon or on Apple for the podcast here on Shakeable Health. Same way, just scroll down to where you see those stars to the star farthest to the right. Click on it. Underneath that's a little box with a pencil coming out the top right corner. It says write a review. And you just write me a little something. Let me know what you're loving, what you're learning, what you're appreciating. Uh, it just tickles me. It makes me smile. It makes me want to get up every morning when it's cold and it's 20 degrees outside. I'm getting up and I'm fired up, especially like today when I'm dropping a podcast for you. It just tickles me with all of the inspiration you give me for sharing, for loving, for sharing the show, sharing all of these amazing health pearls that we share right here on Unshakable Health. And so please, 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 thank you, thank you in advance for doing that. And this is your last chance because I'm giving away two, two copies. I'm holding up the book here for those YouTubers. I'm holding it up. Preventable. My new book is still available on Amazon. You can grab it today and I will give away two personally signed copies. I will dedicate it to you personally. I will mail it, drop it in the mail for two lucky people who have dropped a review either on Apple for Unshakable health for the podcast or over on Amazon. Whoever does that will get a chance to win a free signed autograph copy. So make sure you get your chance. You get, you get in there. And the only way to do that is drop a review over there on Amazon or on Apple. So thank you. Thank you in advance for doing that. I'm so excited today for this show because I'm going to share something that for me has been life-changing. It's literally been something that I just didn't know about a decade ago. In fact, even three decades ago when I was in medical school, this is not something that was really even taught. Today, I'm going to share one of the most powerful health pearls, tips, and tricks that I have ever learned right here with you. And I'm going to share a little excerpt from the book, my book, Preventable, but I'm going to share 
one part that has just changed my life. And this is something that I didn't even know about medical school. And this was the fact that you just can't wait, like the cure, you can't wait to sleep until you're dead, right? Sleep when you're dead, the amazing song from the, uh, from the album that they released. I think it was 2006 or 8, uh, 418 Dream. What a great album. And I had that philosophy. I thought you could just sleep when you're dead or you just didn't need that much sleep, right? Because every hour I spent sleeping was going to be an hour I was missing something. I was missing something that was happening in the ER or upstairs in the ICU in the hospital or, you know, maybe missing a moment with my kids. Like I did not want to waste any time sleeping, right? Because, you know, upwards of around a third of our life will potentially be spent sleeping. Like, why would I want to do that, right? Well, I have learned some really cool, fun facts, not only about why we need to sleep, which was actually not taught when I was in medical school. And and mind you, this was in the 90s and early 2000s. We did not even know why we needed to sleep. We knew that if you didn't, you didn't perform well on tests, whether it be psychomotor skills or retaining information. We knew you wouldn't do well from either a physical, mental, intellectual, cognitive perspective if you didn't sleep, but we actually didn't really know why you needed to sleep. We just didn't know that. And so I'm going to share with you today some of these powerful pearls that I've learned over the years about not only why we need to sleep, but how we can optimize this lever in our life because we cannot wait to sleep until we're dead. We just cannot do that, nor do we want to because my wife will share with you that when I was doing my four to six hours a night, which I did for probably two decades throughout medical school, residency, early practice, my first 10 years of work in the hospital, in ER setting as a board certified physician, I did not prioritize sleep. I just absolutely did not because I didn't want to miss a day, a moment with my kids or surfing or all the things that I love to do. I did not want to miss that. So let me just share with you a quote. I love this by Thomas Decker. It says, sleep is the golden chain that ties health and our bodies together. Sleep is the golden chain that ties health and our bodies together. Couldn't agree more. It is sort of this unsung hero which can contribute to so many factors of sleep. And no, I'm not talking about, you know, let's just sleep off the this or the that's of yesterday, the hangover, the, the, the rough day you may have had. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how you can optimize your sleep to even lose weight. Yeah, I said it. You can lose weight by sleeping. Who knew? When you optimize your sleep and your health, this can all happen through improving your sleep. This one action may do more for your health and lifespan than anything else. It could be that secret missing ingredient. In fact, it's completely free. That's probably what I love so much. It's one of those things that we have access to. It's free and it's powerful and probably one of the reasons I neglected it. It just seems too easy, right? (laughs) Well, I had to be reminded of this even recently because I hadn't been sleeping that well. And I think part of it was I had a trip to the East Coast last week for work. I got a little bit off and jet lagged and and I didn't really have my usual time to do what I love to do, which is grounding. When I go to a new place, I try to slip off the shoes, walk on either a beach or a park, some area where I can slip the shoes off, get my naked feet on the ground and get kind of cued into that new environment and then do the same when I return home. And I got home and it was 20 degrees. I didn't want to do that. And so I think I missed a few of the normal steps that would help me accommodate to changing environments, changing time zones. And I 
as much as any of us need to be reminded of these pearls with respect to sleep. So let's get into how we can do this, how sleep can be powerful. And it's so simple and has literally changed numerous lives, including my own. I've experienced short and long-term results making sleep for me a true game changer. In fact, I'll be honest, this was not always something I appreciated or even understood. It has been quite the opposite in my case. Throughout my 12 years of medical training, sleep was often looked at as a sign of weakness. Medical training in the 1990s involved a, quote, beat you down kind of mentality. The one who stayed awake the longest or worked the most consecutive hours or days got the proverbial badge of honor. (laughs) It's certainly not something I'm proud of having participated in as a physician, but I learned much on account of it. Yet, soon after I committed myself to not repeating that foolish practice of disregarding the power and benefits of adequate quality sleep. In fact, in that environment, I actually cultivated the attitude of, quote, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Anyone a fan of that rock group, The Cure, right? They recorded a top song called Sleep When I'm Dead that topped the singles chart of their 413 Dream album 2008, which stamped my belief in not wasting too much time sleeping. <laughs> that which I began in college and continued throughout medical school and residency training. Afterward, while working at a community hospital for several years, I still foster this notion that sleep is not a high priority, and often I viewed a waste of time, at least to some degree. There was just too much I wanted to do, work 100 hours a week, make time for my wife and kids, and of course, surf. I did all that, but it definitely did not leave much time for sleep. Why do I mention this? Well, for two reasons. Not only did I love the band The Cure as a youth in the 1980s, but this notion of sleep being a weakness and an activity overachievers would not waste much time doing was pervasive in my medical training. I remember so vividly my medical school neurology professor giving a lecture on exactly that, sleep and how it was overrated. He taught that although we spent nearly one-third of our lives in bed, there was no concrete science showing why it was needed. A lot of data collected in the last several decades, however, has changed our collective understanding of sleep and its health benefits. Sleep is a simple activity that can be optimized to levels that allow for positive dividends in our overall health and lifespan. More importantly, it lends rewards to our day-to-day enjoyment of life. Just ask my wife how pleasant I was during my endless hours of medical training focused around very little sleep. I was definitely not always great to be around and could frequently be described as cranky or even grouchy. It was all because my average sleep time was between four and six hours a night. At that time, I prided myself on that schedule. That is until I began to better understand the power of sleep. However, you do not and should not have to suffer through decades of sleep deprivation like I did, realizing that life can be better. Healthier and happier with optimized sleep will save you a myriad of health problems later. The good news is science now has amassed a vast amount of knowledge on this topic in recent years. The rationale behind why we need to sleep in the first place, its numerous corresponding health benefits, and how sleep can be optimized for prime health are all factors that can be applied to our action plan for long-term weight loss. 
Yeah, I said it again, weight loss. We'll talk about that in just a sec. For years, it had been known that sleep is necessary for cognitive function, for example. We long appreciated that if one did not get enough sleep or any or sufficient sleep, they could not perform certain tasks as effectively, which increased their risk of developing certain health issues. Yet we still did not understand from a physiological perspective why sleep was necessary. It was unclear what actually occurs in our bodies during sleep that makes it such a valuable aspect of our health. In the last decade, science has worked to elucidate the benefits of autophagy, one of my favorites, autophagy, glymphatic filtration, and detoxification, which predominantly occur during sleep. In August of 2012, the researcher of Dr. Macon Nattergaard and Jeffrey Illiff and their team at the University of Rochester Medical Center published their findings regarding a newly discovered system in the brain they deemed the, quote, glymphatic system. More than a decade after I finished medical school, their report discussed how the glymphatic system in the brain was analogous to the lymphatic system of the body in that it clears or flushes the brain of the accumulated toxins and other waste products that build up and occur during the day such as those which may put one at risk for neurodegenerative conditions. The beta amyloid and the tau protein tangles that build up in Alzheimer's disease and other pathological neurodegenerative conditions are two examples of protein debris and other toxins that can be flushed out of the brain by this glymphatic system while we sleep. Interesting, this cellular housekeeping system, if you will, only seems to function to any significant degree while sleeping. So if you want to take advantage of this amazing glymphatic system that literally flushes, refreshes, rejuvenates, resets, reboots the system, gets rid of all those toxins that build up throughout the day, whether they be the tau protein, the beta amyloid, or whatever toxins we may be exposed to, this only effectively happens while we sleep. This is literally game-changing stuff. It was for me because once I realized what I was doing or should I say not doing (laughs) by not sleeping and allowing these toxins to build up, I was putting myself at risk for potentially getting one of these neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Now, we know one of the reasons that we need to sleep. It's no longer a mystery. We know we need to sleep to flush these toxins. This important daily toxin removal has almost exclusively been shown to happen only while we sleep. Wouldn't it be cool if we had an analogous system that happened in our homes that cleaned quietly while we slept, one that not only did the dishes, but laundry and cleaned the bathrooms and mopped the floors? (laughs) Wishful thinking, I guess. Knowing that sleep is of this critical importance, what happens if we don't get our recommended eight hours of sleep every night? Well, here's a Brief list of some of the short-term consequences of decreased sleep. One, decreased memory performance and cognition. Emotional distress. This was the crankiness my wife noted. Mood disorders. Decreased quality of life. Increased stress. Longer-term consequences of poor sleep include increased risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, insulin resistance, high blood pressure, dyslipidemia, metabolic syndrome, several cancers, even premature death has been associated with decreased sleep. 
It is interesting to note that shift work, such as that of a physician or anyone who works the late night or the overnight shift, is classified by the World Health Organization, the WHO, as a possible carcinogen, cancer-causing. Recent reviews of such literature published in the prestigious medical journal Lancet Oncology in July 2019 concluded that there is evidence that night shift work contributes to breast, prostate, and colorectal cancer. Findings in this study were based on the work of 27 scientists from around the world in 16 different countries who reviewed the data on this topic and found the trend of increasing cancer risk in shift workers from the impact of the circadian rhythm disruption and its untoward effects on diminishing our immune response, as well as increases in the metabolic derangement and in inflammation. We will soon discuss the power and impact of optimizing circadian biology. Now, these findings do not mean you have to change your job if you fall into this category. Like I do, I, I still do work occasionally a night, an overnight shift, which is not my favorite, but I've learned some strategies and skills to help mitigate the risk, and we'll share those shortly. But you should pay careful attention to how you can stack the deck in your favor by optimizing your circadian rhythm. I certainly took a second look at this in my life, and I'm very glad I did. In fact, directly understanding circadian rhythm is essential to improving our health because in order to optimize it, we must coordinate our behaviors to match the circadian clock our bodies have been following for millennia. When our circadian rhythm is out of whack, not only can we more easily gain weight and become more prone to chronic disease, this may even cause an early death. This got my attention about a decade ago, and I am impassioned now to share what I've learned with you. Circadian rhythm is our 24-hour daily physiological rhythm, our biological clock. It comes from the Latin root words circa, which is about, and diem, or a day, about a day. Interestingly, this daily rhythm is shared with many other organisms, including plants, other animals, and even the microscopic organisms that make up our gut flora and microbiota. Who knew? These little ones in our gut, these bacteria I always speak of that are so important to optimize our health, our gut health, they respond to a circadian rhythm, a, quote, biologic clock. The primary trigger, in fact, that sets off this cycle is exposure to light, this is why humans typically have a diurnal or daytime cycle. In other words, we have historically been actively performing our business during the day and sleeping or resting from our daily activities during the night. That is, at least until the light bulb screwed things up about 150 years ago. Thanks, Thomas Edison, right? And artificial light provided the opportunity for shift work and other circadian rhythm disruptions, such as screen time, the 24-hour drive-through, convenience stores making light food and jobs available around the clock. All a very fascinating topic and worthy of an entire book. I will summarize the salient points briefly as they pertain to our metabolism and overall health and what we can do about it. Let's talk about light first, as it is one of the key factors in setting our circadian rhythm. There is an area in the hypothalamus of the human brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN. This is the body's master clock that receives input from our eyes via the retinal nerve, specifically the intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells, or IPRGCs. Intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. These special cells detect the presence of visible light, notably the blue spectrum of visible light and 
can help set the circadian rhythm, even in those who are blind. Crazy. After these cells detect the primary blue spectrum of light at the four to 500 nanometer range wavelength, they send the signals to the brain, this SCN, the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the brain, in the hypothalamus, which in turn signals the pineal gland to either release melatonin when it gets dark or to stop releasing it if the cells are sensing the blue wavelength spectrum of light. According to the brilliant research of Dr. Sachinananda Panda, optimizing our circadian rhythm involves two key factors. In his team's research within the last decade at the Salk Institute in San Diego, Dr. Panda and his team have determined that exposure to light and food are the two biggest triggers in setting and maintaining optimal circadian rhythm. Fortunately for us, both factors are amenable to optimization and we can intervene. They are under our control. Not only are we able to optimize our exposure to light and synchronize it to natural cues, but we can also choose to follow a similar schedule with our meals in order to keep them both in sync with our circadian rhythm. In other words, eating during the day and abstaining from it during the night is ideal. In order to accomplish, accomplish this, Dr. Panda recommends we incorporate some form of time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting into our routine, at least so we're not eating into the night. I'm not going to delve deep into this as I've devoted an entire chapter of my book, Preventable, to this topic indeed. But to summarize, we must begin to mirror the daily routine or rhythm or schedule of that of our ancestors, eating 8 to 12 hours during the day and fasting for the remaining 12 to 16 hours during the night. In my experience, the technique I found most simple and effective is what I like to call the simple circadian fast, consisting of just a prolonged overnight fast. This simply means not eating after dinner until breakfast, typically waiting two to three hours after dinner before bedtime. So avoid those late dinners. This is what I call having <laughs> a food curfew. Don't eat within about three hours of going to bed. And then waiting about one hour upon awakening to eat your first meal. There you go. Three hours before bed, one hour after awakening, four plus the eight hours of sleep. You already have a 12-hour overnight circadian fast and you didn't even miss it. You didn't even think about it. It was that easy. This mimics what our ancestors may have done before the advent of refrigeration and convenience stores. In order to easily incorporate the circadian fast, we can establish what I sometimes call a food curfew. In other words, we need to stop eating several hours before bedtime, preferably three or more to get the best results. Dr. Panda has looked at this extensively in mice and now in humans, and what he's discovered is that incorporating some form of this fasting into our lifestyle can help decrease inflammation improve cognition and mental sharpness and decrease metabolic dysfunction and insulin resistance and even improve chronic diseases such as heart disease and cancer. Its practice has also been linked to longevity. And what I found is one of the simplest ways to do this is with this concept of circadian fasting. Now, let us return our focus to the critically important issue of improving our sleep. And I have suggested some short and long-term consequences already that occur from decreased sleep. But now I want to share with you the huge health benefits from optimizing it. These range from improving our daily function through increased energy, alertness, memory, and focus, the quality of life, and all the way to the long-term benefits such as decreasing one chance of suffering from metabolic disease such as insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, and even cancer. 
A groundbreaking study in 2015, excuse me, in 2019, September, shared how important sleep can, how improved sleep can decrease our risk of heart disease. The Journal of the American College of Cardiology reported that less than six hours of sleep a night increases your risk of heart attack by 20%. Whereas simply extending your sleep time, if getting less than six hours, by just one hour decreases your risk by 20%. So simple. I didn't realize this all those years I was getting six or less hours of sleep. If I would have just increased my sleep by one hour, I would not only decrease my risk of heart disease, but I would improve my odds by an additional 20%. So optimizing sleep, getting your seven to eight hours of Z's, not only helps fight against heart, heart disease, but also provides many additional benefits. You can even lose weight. Did I say you can lose weight by just sleeping? Absolutely. Can you imagine anything easier or more straightforward than this? In fact, a Canadian Medical Association Journal reported that in a six-month weight loss program, Participants who slept more than seven hours a night had a 33% more success with their weight loss. And those that slept less than seven hours, they actually had weight gain. And this happens through multiple hormonal mechanisms, like increased ghrelin, that, that silly hunger hormone that makes us get the late night munchies, right? And decreased leptin, which is the satiety hormone, or the GLP-1A um, also that it, it decreases, when we don't sleep, the satiety hormones decrease. And this makes us hungry. It makes us have those late night munchies, those late night. It's, that's physiology. That is not you being weak. That is not you wimping out and not being able to overcome, you know, the, the, the temptation, right? It's physiology. It's physiology. When we're not sleeping, we're not sleeping well, naturally our hormones are amok and they make us more susceptible to eating those hyperpalatable foods. So now it's coming together. It's science. Sleep affects our hormones, which consequently affects our metabolism. When you sleep less, your ghrelin goes up and you get hungry, for example. I noticed that when I work the night shift on reduced sleep, I often have the munchies. The satiety hormone leptin and the GLP-1A, which normally signal to stop eating, decreases and loses its signaling power when our bodies are deprived of sleep. So ever wonder why when you stay up late working or binge watching your favorite television series, you may have a snack indulgence? You may have the munchies? It's because your brain is not receiving the normal stop signals from leptin and GLP-1A. And the, instead of getting the extra hunger or craving signal, um, instead of the, the satiety signal, you are getting the extra Craving or hunger signal from ghrelin, which is going up. And recent studies have shown that even our cravings change when we are sleep deprived. This is really interesting that actually when we're not getting enough sleep, we even have more of a tendency to want these hyper palatable, highly processed foods. We, they just sound even better. And I know personally, I've experienced that from these highly processed foods that when you're up late at night or you're working that late shift, like I typically don't crave sweets or candies or these, you know, chips, crackers and the like. But if I'm up in the middle of the night, like it's some weird phenomenon. It's actually physiology that makes you want to crave these hyper palatable foods. So it's not you being weak. It's not you lack of willpower. It's none of that. It's simple physiology. Further interruptions include increased insulin, which triggers insulin resistance if the sleep deprivation continues. In fact, a study reported by Buxton and colleagues in the journal Diabetes found that as little as one week of reduced sleep on average five hours a night, insulin resistance became dramatic and deranged uh, blood sugars had already ensued. 
I've even noticed this in myself. In fact, when I was working a lot of night shifts at the hospital, I noticed my blood sugars were creeping up into the 100 or so range, and I couldn't figure it out. But now I understand it's simple hormonal imbalances caused from decreased sleep. It's physiology. So chronically sleep-deprived, by regularly working the late shift at the hospital, I experienced low energy. My focus and my mood had decreased. I began to suffer from generalized aches and pains. I just was more inflamed, which is this is a tell, telltale sign of inflammation associated with insulin resistance. And I had an elevated fasting glucose. Although I had not gained weight, at least not yet, or felt typically unhealthy, I clearly noticed the beginnings of insulin resistance all because I was not getting my regular overnight beauty sleep, right? That's seven or eight hours. It was not that I was getting older. I wasn't falling apart as I thought that maybe I was. It was the simple fact that I was suffering from the consequences of insulin resistance secondary to poor sleep. (laughs) Weight gain has also been tied to growth hormone reduction and elevated cortisol and other metabolic and hormonal disturbances that are all a part of decreased sleep. So when you're not sleeping well and you get the late night munchies, you are not demonstrating a lack of willpower. You are instead experiencing the powerful hormonal consequences of sleep deprivation. The salient point is we need our beauty sleep, at least seven or eight hours of it. So how can we optimize it? Here are some techniques that I've collected from both my study and personal and shared experience over the last several decades. Number one, optimal sleep begins with our daytime habits. Yes, what we do during the day affects how we sleep at night, beginning with our exposure to light. Light is everything. And so exposing ourselves to natural light during the daytime and less of it at night has proven to be very helpful. In fact, only a couple of minutes of natural light exposure in the first couple hours of the day may be the most powerful in this respect. Who knew that getting a great night's sleep begins with what you do in the morning? I try to minimize nighttime exposure to blue light, especially on screens for about one or two hours prior to bed. During the day, I also get out at least once in the outdoors, preferably in the morning, to have the sunlight hit my skin and my eyes without wearing sunglasses because this is early in the day. And opening up the shades and windows is also helpful during the day, though not quite as much as a little bit of outside time. Plus, when you're outside, it gives you an added dose of what I like to refer to as vitamin N, if you remember, for nature as well as vitamin D, which both have tremendous positive health benefits. My bedroom at night also resembles a cave like that of our ancestors, minimizing as much light as possible from entering the room. When it's time to hit the hay, if you will, this means blackout shades, turning off all screens, computers, televisions, devices, uh, anything that beep, flashes, or vibrates, and getting rid of any nighttime lights, LED screens, or the, the lights on stereos, alarm clocks, or any other electronic devices getting those turned off, or even (laughs) I've been known to do this while traveling. I'll bring a a roll of black electric tape and I put that over the little lights that maybe on the smoke detectors or other places that that, uh, intrude upon my cave man experience, that darkness of the cave, if you will. The darker the room, the better typically to optimize sleep. So you may even need to get some uh, of these, um, these eye shades The ones that we probably all made fun of when we were kids, right? But these, I've tried them and they actually really help if you can't get blackout curtains or you're in a different environment. Whatever you can do to make it a little bit darker at night, all the better. So while I'm traveling, I typically unplug everything I can use and and often bring black electric tape 
to be able to <laughs> cover any extraneous light sources. I've also swapped out regular night lights in the bathroom for red night lights as they are less likely to jack your circadian rhythm. Also, remember the caves usually remain cool and have a constant temperature. Regardless of the season, our sleeping cave, if you will, should be similar with a room temperature somewhere between 60 and 72 degrees. Shoot for around 65 or so or whatever level is comfortable for you. For me, this depends on how cool my wife will let me set the thermostat as she's already cold typically, and I tend to sleep pretty warm. So we compromise at about 68 degrees usually. The warmer the climate, especially in the summer months, the more difficult it can be to get a good night's sleep, especially in the absence of temperature-controlled environments. One 2019 study reported in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health showed that high-temperature weather decreased sleep quality, causing both decreased sleep duration and shallow sleep. I've definitely experienced this in Hawaii or even in Florida in the hot summer months. And if the AC is not there, it's not present or it's not working and you can't cool it to somewhere between 60 and 70 uh, degrees, it certainly has affected the quality of my sleep. So what has helped me then in those cases, especially in Hawaii where I don't have any kind of AC is I shower before bed. So I'm kind of going to bed a little bit cooler after a cool shower and then I run the fans all night, typically one from the ceiling, a ceiling fan, and one right at my bedside night table as well. And that can kind of help cool because sleeping cool is important. It's been shown to be effective to increasing the not only quality, but the duration of your sleep. So rounding out the cave, for those who have ever visited a cave, you'll generally know that they tend to be quiet. And so should your sleeping cave too. Try to limit extraneous noises. If you struggle with outside noises, like the roosters crowing outside my bedroom in Hawaii or your partner snoring, try to use earplugs to help with this. As they say, silence is golden. And concerning sleep, I couldn't agree more. Environment and consistency matter. Think of your sleep room as a cave. Try to keep it dark, cool, quiet, and free from distractions as much as possible. These sleep habits are important for overall sleep hygiene. The two most significant circadian rhythm disruptors are blue light, as we've talked about, and eating just before sleep. So to repeat, begin with minimizing blue light exposure one to two hours before sleeping and try not to eat within two to three hours of bedtime, just as you should have a blue light or screen curfew, right? That one to two hours. Also make sure you have a food curfew. This will make all the difference. And it is an easy to implement tool that is both simple and free. Also avoid significant amounts of liquid intake for one to two hours before bed, and that can help limit bathroom awakenings. In addition, alcohol may aid in getting you to sleep, but it actually decreases the quality of sleep, especially if drunk within two hours of bedtime. Generally try to avoid its use at night. Drinking caffeine earlier in the day instead of uh, evening is best. Trying to not have caffeine within six hours leading up to bedtime Sorry, you after-dinner coffee drinkers out there. It's not going to be awesome if you drink uh, caffeinated beverage, uh, whether it be uh, coffee or the like, uh, within six hours of bedtime because they can also decrease both the quality and the duration of your sleep, not surprisingly. If you must have a little something before bed, try to keep it to a no-calorie beverage, such as a small cup of tea or water or decaf coffee. Keep your drink low in calories before bed so you can get into the fat-burning mode that you probably desire as well as helping you to have a more restful sleep. So you won't be in a full digestive mode because digestion is notorious for disrupting your sleep. Remember that food curfew we talked about. I also found that regular exercise during the day 
can improve the quality of sleep. Try to avoid doing so, at least vigorously, uh, exercise within 60 to 90 minutes of sleep, however. If I do need to fit in my exercise in the evening, say I just had a long day, I haven't gotten out, I haven't moved my body, I often find that a simple walk in the evening works just great. And this, this is uh, consistent with a large 2019 meta-analysis reported in the Journal of Sports Medicine, which determined that evening exercise is fine as long as it's just at a moderate level. <laughs> Don't go for a HIIT training right before bed, for example, and try to conclude it within 60 minutes prior to bedtime was the recommendation. So if you are sleep-deprived or uh, work in a work-related field where you're feeling tired and maybe you're considering a daytime nap, what's the deal on napping? Well, here, here I'm going to let you know. It's okay if you want to do a power nap, especially if you are sleep-deprived, especially if you have to work a night shift and, and you're feeling tired during the day. A power nap is just fine. Usually it's 30 to 60 minutes. Much longer than that will actually decrease the quality of your sleep at night. So here's the clincher. If you're out traveling, what I recommend is when you first hit the soil of the new location, most likely if it's in a new time zone, what you're going to want to do is stay on the time wherever you are. So if you took a red eye someplace and you didn't sleep well, which is me, I just can't sleep well on a red eye. Instead of going right to bed when I get to my destination, if it's daytime, I just go right into full-on normal day mode. And when the sun goes down, that's when I hit the hay. And that's when I try to just get in sync with the new circadian rhythm of the area. Try to get into that and avoid jet lag that way by being up when the light is out and being down or in bed when, there's, when it's dark. And also, if you slip off your shoes at some point, go for a 30-minute walk outdoors in the new time zone. That can greatly help with getting into that um, synchronization with the new timing. And that's the practice of grounding, which is so simple, right? All you got to do is slip your shoes off and just take a little walk or just sit with your your feet grounded into the soil, the grass, the sand, whatever that is, to try to get in sync with your new rhythm, your new time zone. So the first priority should always be for us to strive for that requisite seven or eight hours of sleep a night. Try to limit napping unless you're sleep deprived. That's a great goal too. And then getting seven, eight hours of continuous sleep at night is better than sleeping less in the evening and trying to make up for it, trying to think, oh, I'll just you know burn the candle at both ends, if you will, stay up super, super late, and I'll just take a little bit of a nap the next day. You probably will find that if you just go to bed a little earlier, try to log in that seven hours, you'll be more productive the next morning when you wake up. But always listen to your body. Practice mindful sleeping practices that you find beneficial to your particular situation. We're all different, right? There's different chronotropes. There's the so-called early bird and the night owl, and we're a little bit different. So do what works for you. And this should supersede all textbook teaching. The most important human being in the room is you, Y-O-U. So always listen to your body. Remember that whenever you have a regular routine, whatever helps you in the evening to get into a relaxed state is the one for you. It'll take some experimenting, planning, maybe a little tweaking, but your bedtime routine should be individualized. Do what works for you. I personally have found that incorporating an ease down kind of evening ritual or routine to prepare for a restful sleep is key. Some people enjoy an evening bath, a relaxing routine of meditation, maybe reading a physical book, preferably not on a screen, right? Because we want to avoid that blue light, journaling or other quiet time practices before bed. All of these are beneficial. Personally, I found that writing a gratitude journal is a great wind down ritual for me. And given that we're putting the screens away at least an hour before bed and not eating for two to three hours, we should have plenty of time for any wind-down ritual of your choice. If you still struggle with sleep 
after having incorporated all of these above routines into your practice, sometimes natural foods and supplements taken within two hours or so can help. These are things like chamomile tea, magnesium, especially magnesium three and eight, which will cross the blood brain barrier, ginkgo, glycine, valerian root, L-theanine, lavender, and melatonin are great options. If you use any of these, try to use the smallest effective dose and for the shortest duration possible. I've known many people to take excessive melatonin, for example, and have experienced untoward effects like, like daytime grogginess or daytime drowsiness, dizzy and nausea, and even headaches. I personally find melatonin quite helpful, especially when I'm traveling. It helps me a bunch with jet lag, and I use it as needed. Another technique I found especially beneficial in reaching a mindful sleep experience is the practice of earthing or grounding walking outside barefoot. What's great about it is its simplicity. Just slip out of your shoes, go for a barefoot walk in the grass, sand or sidewalk. Simply stand or just simply stand outside on the earth for a few minutes with your shoes off. I try to practice this almost daily, though occasionally find it difficult in the winter if I'm in the snowy mountains, for example. When I have done it, it has been extremely helpful and beneficial to my overall well-being, my mood, and sleep. This simple technique of earthing or grounding has also helped me significantly to minimize jet lag by adjusting my circadian rhythm while traveling and crossing multiple time zones. This is an ancient practice, and it's been shown to improve sleep, to also normalize circadian rhythm and promotes the shift to the restful parasympathetic nervous system from the stressed-out fight-and-flight system and has been known to decrease pain increase HRV or heart rate variability. This is what many sleep devices monitor. And to speed up wound healing and even improve circulation by decreasing blood viscosity, as reported in the Journal of Inflammation Research in 2015 with respect to the simple time-honored practice of grounding. Who knew this simple free technique of slipping off your shoes and grounding could have such a plethora of benefits? Remember, optimizing light-dark circadian cycles creates space for a restful, rejuvenative sleep. The benefits of having an ease-down ritual before sleep is just as important as what we ingest before we lay our heads to the pillow, returning to our ancient lifestyle roots by optimizing the two largest and most important regulators of circadian biology, our exposure to light and food, and the timing thereof are fortunately under our control. We've got this. We cannot simply wait to sleep when we're dead because ultimately achieving optimal health while we live should be our goal, right? Now that we've outlined an action plan for restful sleep that contributes to our overall health and long-term weight loss, we can move on to exercising our muscles, our body, and our heart. Shall we dance? So that was a little bit of an excerpt from my book, Preventable, Five Powerful Practices to Avoid Disease and Build Unshakable Health, a little bit on the sleep part of things, which is something that I neglected for way too long, for decades, in fact. And my wife will tell you, I was a little grumpy. I was not a pleasant human. But as I have made sleep a priority and, in fact, made it a superpower in my life, something that I strive each and every night to get a minimum of seven and also shoot for eight hours of sleep, it has been a game changer for my health, my well-being. It has helped my insulin sensitivity. It has helped me to be focused, refreshed, energized, and to get rid of all the junk, right? To flush out those toxins, to get rid of the inflammation that I was suffering from. I, I thought I was falling apart in my 30s and 40s. Like literally, I'd wake up achy and just feeling out of sorts. And what I found is that 
The sleep was that missing factor. I was moving my body, I was eating real food, but I was not prioritizing sleep. And now that I've decided to do this, it has made all the difference. So if you want more on this, be sure to get my book, Preventable. I've also got an entire course on sleep and how to make sleep your superpower that's available. Check out my link on Instagram at Dr. Thomas Hemingway. That's Dr. Thomas Hemingway or thomashemingway.com. Check out the link there for my programs. I have one on sleep because it is that important. It is a superpower. It's something that has changed my life. So to all and all, a good night. Aloha.